Views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and contributors, and not necessarily those of WFSU Public Media. What's the 411? You're tuned in to 411 Teen, a weekly program for teens, families, and other interested folks. 411 Teen provides a forum to examine and discuss various issues and events that confront intersect, and sometimes interrupt our daily lives. This edition of 411 Teen welcomes the politics rap team from James S. Rickards High School IB International Baccalaureate Program. The students represent a diverse group of positions and political affiliations and perspectives. I'm Dr. Liz Hollyfield, and joining me, I've got four student, dynamic students, and I want to say welcome to you all. Um, where shall we start? Well, the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians really dates back before 1948. It's lasted really, if you start looking at it all, over 100 years. There's always been something going on there. Following the horrific attack by Hamas on Israelis, thousands of lives have been lost. The last time I researched it, um, they were saying that 11,000 Palestinians, over 11,000 Palestinians, have been killed, and around 1,400 Israelis. And... 20, over 22,000 had been injured as far as Palestinians are concerned. What are your thoughts about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? And whoever, A, you want to start? I mean, <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, um, looking at the situation, the people who are suffering the most are just the innocent citizens of both Palestine and um, Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I just feel like really bad for them because they're just caught up in this conflict and a lot of them are being killed, held hostage. It's really sad. It is. I, I totally agree with you. All right, where does everybody else, what else, who else? What do you think? What are your thoughts? Do you think about this? Well, uh, um, I think no, you can go. No, go ahead. Oh, I think this is, it's just, it's just a really horrible situation all around. Um, I personally think it's hard to identify who's truly, like, I think both sides are wrong in their own ways. Like, they're not. I, this is this is an overall just horrible situation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not really any, there's no positives really going on with it. Um, so, as a Palestinian American, I'm obviously going to be a bit biased towards one side, but mm-hmm. I do believe that there has to be a like a a way for there to like for this to like stop because. There is too many innocent people dying who are not involved in this conflict that are being indiscriminately bombed by both sides. And it's it's really heartbreaking to see the news all the time because you're seeing all these numbers go up yeah. on both sides. And you're not only seeing that, oh, um, 
Hamas attacked Israel, you also see like news of like, um, oh, um, people bombed in hospital, mm-hmm. oh, white phosphorus. And I believe that as an international community, it's not, it, this shouldn't be allowed. Like these basically war crimes are just being shrugged away and just allowed to happen without any consequences. Yeah, I, I, you made some good points that we need to come back and, and, and look at. Other comment? Uh, yeah, I have a comment. Um, I think this whole situation is just hard to look at and it can be very stressful mm-hmm. for, for all sides in this story. And it's just, I think that the way the news is siding with one side can be really tough, especially when some of the things being told can be proven as lies. So that's my point of view on that. Do you have, go right ahead, go right ahead. It's really hard to distinguish between what you can trust and what you can't trust, because there's obviously gonna be a lot of news spreading around. A lot of it's not gonna be true. And a lot of it's gonna be faked or propaganda or just like, things that can easily be disproved, but are just used to um, just to basically convince people to join one side or another. And there is no correct, well, it's, there is no correct side because both sides are filled with innocent people. Mm-hmm. And in, whenever innocent people get involved in a situation, there is no correct answer. But we have to look at both sides to first like come to mm-hmm. an ag- agreement to come to peace. And I feel like there's faults on basically both sides for some peace, like for, because even though like you can say like things about both sides, you can also find the faults of both sides. I agree. And a lot of point of views are being taken from a specific date, which is like October 7th. Mm-hmm. And history, isn't being looked at as much as mm-hmm. what's been going on after October 7. And this has been going on for centuries. Or, or what's been going on before October 7. Why, yes. did, I, why yep. did we even get to the point that there was an October 7? I mean, that's my question. I mean, why do you think, you know, that, that October 7 even occurred? I feel like, oh, sorry, you can go No, ahead. go ahead, go ahead. I feel like the reason why October 7th even occurred in the first place mm-hmm. is because of the occupation mm-hmm. and the war crimes that Israel has committed against the Palestinian people. Like, these events don't happen for no reason. Mm-hmm. There is a driving force towards driving people to one side saying, hey, you guys have taken our land and have occupied us for 75 years since the Nakba, and we haven't gotten any peace in return from you guys. You have just taken our land, and we have tried to work with you to reclaim some land and to self-determinize. However, both sides aren't meeting their quotas. Like, for example, in the Oslo Accords, both sides were at fault because neither of them could get anything done. Um, and I feel like you have to also consider the fact that 
this isn't the first attack between Hamas and Israel. Mm, it really it, it isn't mm-hmm. because it's just kept it's just been kept it's just kept on going on because the Israeli government has Gaza under it like like locked under such strict rules and regulations that even though they are no longer occupying the land since 2005, they are still completely trapped in Gaza. Yeah, I've heard, I, we, I did another program on this a couple of weeks ago, and um, several other participants were had lived in, in um, Gaza and were sharing their experiences at a, before October 7th and said that a lot of the conditions, I mean, when I say conditions, I mean, I'm talking about even water and fuel and electricity. So those are, were you know, not something that was for sure. It was, They weren't definite. They would occur, and they would go on, and they'd go off, and they'd be turned off. And just being able to travel from one part of the country to another part of the country, or to travel out of the country, that life was hell before October 7th. Education, health care, infrastructure. So that's why, that's one of the reasons why I asked you do you think this, it wasn't just October 7th that that this has been mounting? Yeah, I mean, on a broader scale, like, th- this situation is, like, very complicated. And mm-hmm. a lot of people are just looking at one part of it when yeah. there's, like, years of history behind it. And a lot of misinformation is being spread. And it's hard to really, like, pinpoint exactly like what side is correct so like you were mentioning earlier how um the conditions in palestine have been worsening and that's not only true for gaza but it's also true for the west bank Mm -hmm. because it's true even in even in the west bank there is still a large idf and um israeli presence with illegal settlements and just idf soldiers within the IDF. Mm-hmm. I mean, within Palestine, within the West Bank, for example, like from my own experience, when I was when I traveled to Palestine, it takes usually several hours, up to like seven, just to get to one city because of the number of pass, like the number of checkpoints, the amount of questions are asked. Like, even my father, who who hasn't been to his hometown since he was a little child, wasn't able to return back to Jerusalem until maybe last year because of all the restrictions placed against Palestinian citizens and their movement. I definitely agree with what he said. Um, From my personal experience, my dad, who has a Israeli passport, Mm -hmm. um, his experience, well, our experience was completely easier than his own brother who didn't have a passport. Um, and only had the American passport, mm-hmm. and his was completely different. He had had waiting hours at checkpoints just to get back. Mm-hmm. Because even when even when I travel to like the West Bank, I'll still get questions like, "Oh, who is your? What's your father's name? Who's your uncles? Mm-hmm. Who are your cousins? Where are you traveling to? How long are you staying?" And even though I technically have American citizenship and a Palestinian citizenship, since I have a Palestinian citizenship, the process for me to enter 
and even enter into Israel is so much more different than, say, a person with just an American citizenship. Mm. In what way? Can you give us an example? Because um, it's just with, when you have a Palestinian citizenship, you get stopped at checkpoints more frequently. Okay. You get asked more questions. A lot of people, when they find when Israeli checkpoints find out that you have a Palestinian passport, you get stopped, you get checked, and it's basically just their own like. I'm forgetting the word. It's just their own determination of yeah. whether mm -hmm. they want to take you in for questioning, and it could be indiscriminate. Like they could just pick you out and say that you're being randomly searched or you're being randomly interviewed just because you have a Palestinian passport. Well, hold your thoughts. Uh, you're tuned in to 411 Team. This is Politics Rap Team. Uh, we are going to take a brief break, but we will return shortly. Just tuning in, the program is 4111, and I'm Dr. Liz Hollyfield, and I'm talking with students from the Rickards IB program. This is the politics rap team, and this team looks at what's happening nationally all around the world as far as the political events and happenings. Right now, we are talking about the Palestinian-Israeli war conflict. I don't, I don't even know what it is. What would you all call it? Is it a war now? Has it been declared war? I heard some uh, some debate about it. Well, you can't really call it a war, but conflict. Let me put it that way. All right. Do you all advocate a ceasefire? Do you think that ceasefire is an option, a viable option um, that would have positive results? If it was possible to be accomplished, then yes, I think it would. However, I do not. I don't think that the way, for the situation is right now that a ceasefire is anywhere near likely. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. um, but of course, if they could find a way to get it done, then yes, that would have mass. That would, I'm sure, it would have very positive effects. So what uh, I hear you saying is, if it could really actually be done mm -hmm. then it would but that's that's not gonna happen yeah i don't think so no and netanyahu said that you know he was not advocating for any kind of he would not deal with the ceasefire that he saw this as war and i mean he's he's been true to his word so far i believe that a ceasefire would be in both sides best interest because not only would it be in the best interest of the Gazans because they wouldn't have to deal with indiscriminate bombings every single day mm -hmm. but it would also be in the interest of the Israeli government because then they would have the chance to be able to rescue the hostages that are still located within Gaza mm -hmm. and if they continue to indiscriminately bomb Gaza they will eventually start to kill their own like their own citizens and i believe that a ceasefire would be in their best interest to rescue their their citizens mm -hmm. other comments thoughts about ceasefire i agree with the ceasefire um 
that's as far as I can say. Okay. Do you all feel when you look at it that this is is a genocide under the guise of eradicating Hamas? I mean, they keep saying that the Israelis are saying that they are, you know, they are going to fight until Hamas no longer exists. And I guess if civilians are hurt, that are killed, that's just one of the side effects of it. Um, I don't know. But it seems like, you know, if that's the case, I mean, there, what, there are 19 hospitals in, I think, Gaza. 13 out of the 19 have been targeted and damaged. I mean, is no place safe? I mean, on that note, I think it brings to ask how far will, how many people will have mm-hmm. to die in order to catch all of Hamas? And even if they did somehow manage to capture all of Hamas, indiscriminately like killing civilians yeah. isn't going to solve anything because if anything, that's just going to create more Hamas members. That's just going to create more people who are resentful of mm-hmm. the Israeli government and who believe that their family members have now been slaughtered and killed for over 75 years. There is no reason for them not to want to get revenge. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the more that it happens, the more people who are willing to call it genocide, because a lot of a lot of the Israeli government would like to say, oh, we just want to capture mm-hmm. um we just want to capture Hamas members. But in reality, it's just the exact same thing that they did during the Nekba in 1948, where they told civilians to please evacuate their cities so that they could basically eradicate um, Palestinian resistance movements. Mm -hmm. And then they were told, you'll be able to return. And then still, 75 years later, these people are still not able to return to their homes. They're still not able to return to their hometowns. Several... Dozens of of Palestinian towns no longer exist because of the Israeli government, and many generations of a family, even since even since October seventh, have been completely eradicated. Mm-hmm. Entire family names gone. If that is not going to cause more Hamas members than it kills, then I don't know. At what point? And I guess we can. Well, at what point does Netanyahu stop? I mean, they Israelis. Let's say they were two thousand of them were lost. There's been eleven thousand, and that's probably even more than that. Because every time I I look up a statistic, you know, in half a day it, it changes. But there've been eleven thousand Palestinians. Most are killed. Over half of them are children and women. We don't know yeah. how many are in the, all of that rubbish and all that that is out that has not been. They haven't been able to dig up. We just we just don't know. And when does it stop? I don't. Or does know. it stop? Maybe that's what I should say. Does it stop? Not when is it is. Do you see it stopping? Do any of you see this really stopping? 
And I guess I'm asking this because I don't see it stopping. Me neither. Okay, but we, we, you know, I'm trying to be, you know, politically correct and all that, but I don't see it stopping at all. I mean, a lot of people are saying, you know, most folks, it's two sides. The two sides need to to find a way to peacefully coexist as as neighbors. But the leaders remain a part on many issues, including security for Israel, borders for the eventual Palestinian state, just to identify a few. So is peace in the Middle East really possible? I mean, we need to be real about this. Given the history, you all are talking about this history, 100 years and over, it goes back beyond 1948 and back to, what, 1916, 17, you know, with Balflower Declaration. I mean, it goes way back. So how is this? I I just, I, I don't know that much about it, the country. My husband has been there, but I haven't. He spent time there. I just don't see how it's going to stop. I necessarily don't think that. I know this is really pessimistic, but yeah, I, I do not see an end to this conflict. I, okay. Because at least not under um, not under the current like mm-hmm. lead. Mm-hmm. Because there has been attempts in the past to resolve this conflict, like with the Oslo Accords and with other like partitions plans. But under the current governments of Netanyahu and the Hamas, I don't see an end to this situation because there's just so much violence and mm. like tense between them. And even if a Palestinian state wanted to be a maid in they would first have to get rid of, well, not get rid of, but relocate a lot of is, is illegal Israeli settlers within the West Bank. If they want to co- create a a Palestinian state, they would have to relocate all these mm-hmm. people who are or like who are living on illegal settlements in the West Bank. They would also have to create secessions, and no country wants to create secessions yeah. and lose parts of their land that they have claimed. It's it's not something that I see in the foreseeable future. I would have to agree with him. Uh, I don't. I don't think that there um, is an end anywhere near like in sight unless something major happens, like a change in leadership or yeah, more foreign um, involvement. But uh, I just think that. I don't. I don't see an end in sight to this conflict. I think. I mean, multiple countries, because of all this carnage and and death, multiple countries have withdrawn their ambassadors from Israel. I mean, what is it? Let me see if I can name them. I know South Africa, Jordan, Turkey, Chile, Colombia, Honduras. Bahrain, I don't know, Bolivia, Chad. I mean, a lot of countries, because of the positions that have been taken, have withdrawn their ambassador. What does that say? And look at what's happening 
around the world, not just our country, not just on our college campuses, but around the world, protesting all of these innocent people being killed. And places that are supposed to be off limits, like hospitals, I mean, babies are dying. They have no fuel. They have no electricity. I just find it extremely, oh, just, it's really overwhelming. It's just overwhelming. And it seems like to me, now, you all correct me, from where I sit and when I look at it, it seems like the only, <clears throat> pardon me, the only end that I see at this point will be when all the Palestinians are wiped out. Because to me, it seems like that's, that's the direction we're taking. I think that would be the main goal. Uh, I, we could be wrong. But that probably is the goal. And I believe once that happens, what will happen to history? Will it be changed? Like what's going to be taught from that point on? Well, I think you know the answer to that. I also think that the more that we ignore what's happening mm -hmm. and the more that the u.s refuses to condemn or like to say that israel has gone too far is just it's it's completely like disgusting how far that the u.s has let this happen mm -hmm. and how long they've let this happen for because the u.s is one of israel's largest funders it's yeah. it's its largest donator to be over billions of dollars go to helping israel in aid every single year. And I feel like the more that we're complacent to these war crimes, the more, the faster that, that Palestinian people are going to be eradicated. It's not a sense, it's not a question of how, it's how long. Mm -hmm. The whole topic at start is just really complicated and hard to talk about, hard to talk about like, and listen to because it's just all really demoralizing. It's a really heavy it topic. Is. and It is. And, just... and we have to handle it a particular mm -hmm. way, you know? Yeah. And we can't say, or you all can't say everything, mm -hmm. you know? I also want to, like, address, like, like how a lot of um, the defense from a lot of Zionists mm -hmm. is that saying anything bad against Zionism mm -hmm. is considered anti-Semitism. Right. And I just don't believe that that's the truth because hiding behind the claims of anti-Semitism to commit genocide against a group of people is, is it's, it's not that big of a defense that you can just justify anything that you want with it. And even before 1948, the Palestinians were one of the only people that accepted Jewish people after the Holocaust. And I feel like if you hide behind the defense of, oh, criticizing Israel is anti-Semitic, it's, it's not because to criticize anyone and any country or any state, you can say that you're, you can use the claim that you're anti-something. 
Oh, right. It's, right. It's not a good defense to justify these crimes. It's well, they were saying <laughs> even if you advocated for for a ceasefire, that that meant you were anti-Semitic. Because there's a difference between Judaism and Zionism. Mm-hmm. Because in Judaism, people believe in it's not a war about theocracy. It's not Jews between. It's not. It's not a war between it's, Jews and Muslims. It's, it's a war for people who mainly came from Europe, who have no actual genetic relation to a land, saying mm-hmm. that no, this is our land because in our book it's it was promised to us, and so that we have the right to commit anything that we want to claim back this land. When in reality, the majority of the people who live in Israel today. Do not have any genetic, any genetic makeup that came from that land, or any genetic history that came from that land. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could do a whole series on this because the history—it's—it's it's not really about the religion. You know, one of the the issues that came up on another in another program we were talking about was it's more about the land than than the religion. Now, I don't know if you all could want to respond to that, but that was something that an issue that was raised. Um, that the possibility, let me see I think I can say this correctly, the possibility was that Israelis really want the land. And so that's why they're pursuing it like this. And even if, you know, there is a ceasefire or what, there's nothing for for the Palestinians to come back to. Everything is bombed. What are they going to come back to? I don't know. This is, this is just one of the comments that um, came out of a, another conversation that I had about um, the whole conflict. I've heard that, I, I don't know how true it is, but I've heard that Israel wants to build another canal, mm-hmm. uh, but the land that they would have to make the canal that they go through is um, Palestinian land. And I that was one of the um, motivations, mm-hmm. I guess, for why they're just going, you know, so like they're just trying to wipe it all out so they can use the land for their own gains. Well, that goes in with what they were saying. It's about the land. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's about taking control of the land, and you have to get rid of the people that are on the land. You know, so you push them mm-hmm. south, and there's nothing for them to come back to. I don't know. Yeah. It is. It is really. I mean, you're getting overkill on it. Or at least I am. Yeah. Every place you look, mm-hmm. every channel you turn on, and I. I do think people need to know uh, what's going on. They. We need to. But if we just get one perspective, then how? Like you were saying, somebody said, "How are we going to know if we only have one side?" Well, if we need to take a break. And um, 
we'll take a quick break and we'll get right back at you. Views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and contributors, and not necessarily those of WFSU Public Media. You're tuned in to 411 Team. This hour, we are looking at the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Were there other comments or other perspectives or issues that you all want to um, identify and have us explore? This is our last session um, of today's program. So, Are there things that you feel like we missed? I know two of you are Palestinian. Are there things that we did not accurately um, depict other points that you feel like we need, we the listening audience need to to be aware of. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fine. All right. Well, then we will move on. And moving on, one of the issues. I don't know if we'll have time. Um, more and more police departments are using facial recognition to help solve crimes. But the growing use of this technology is fueling a real heated debate. I mean, civil liberties advocates say that the technology isn't always accurate. It can lead to wrongful arrests, especially for people of color and women. Um, it can be used in mass surveillance, allowing the police and, and the government agencies to secretly monitor people. Um, we're familiar with facial recognition, which may be used to turn on your phone, to turn on your computer. You know, you go into a 7-Eleven, you go into a bodega, their picture is added to a database. I mean, so it's all over. You really cannot get away from it. Um, one of the problems with the technology is that it's not always accurate. And people of color are not utilized. They weren't utilized initially in the training. That's the problem there. They weren't utilized initially in the training. And the computer itself, the database is mostly, <clears throat> pardon me, pictures of, of white men, because that's who they they um, used. Um, for example, here, the Leon County Sheriff Department, Tallahassee Police Department, and Florida State Police Department, in response to um, the violence and all the firearm-related crime throughout the, the um, county, are operating a capital regional real-time crime center. Um, this is a fundamentally heated debate, again, because of the civil liberties advocates and what they're calling, some are calling this is a real breakthrough in policing and technology um, will, can improve. How do you feel? I mean, and I could go on and on and on talking about it, but how do you feel about using this real-time crime center, okay? Um, we know that a lot of mistakes have been occurring with this facial recognition across the country. Um, half of all the Americans 
have their images stored someplace, driver's license, another place that they're stored. So <clears throat> what are your thoughts um, about the use of facial recognition and the innate bias that is built in the system? Um, I think that the, the, the built-in <clears throat> bias in the system, that um, that is... Um, a huge problem that really really needs to be addressed quickly if they're going to keep using it. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it is good for policing uh, in terms of, you know, getting, so you can catch people more quickly. So I can can see why uh, people are upset about facial recognition, about how, like, it it basically gets rid of privacy in some uh-huh. form. Yeah. But I think uh, while there are certainly a negatives to it, I do think there are some positives that I think can't be overlooked. Okay. All right. In my opinion, I, I can see both sides to using facial recognition. Because on one side, it seems like really like creepy to like have <laughs> someone know exactly what you're doing at all times, and for them to just like oh like exactly like know who you are just by looking at your face, and I can see where a lot of people are are scared because if there is such a small sample size to test their facial recognition shops facial recognition software, mm-hmm. then there's obviously going to be a lot of false arrests and people getting um, arrested for crimes that they haven't committed or they haven't been involved in ever. But then I can also see the side where people say like, this is helpful because it's kind of like how um, genetic testing was introduced into like solving crime because at at first it wasn't very, like it wasn't very accurate, but now we can successfully and just like instantly tell, well not instantly, but we can tell who committed a crime just through their just through like a sample of their DNA. So I feel like it first has to go through those stages where it improves before it could be used to actually solve cases and crimes. But what happens during that period where we're going through the stages and these people are arrested and charged and and sentenced, you know, wrongfully. And that there's a lot of that. I mean, I could have given you an example after example in preparation for the program. There's there's been a n- number of situations um, where the individual was identified inaccurately because facial recognition is a tool that depends. If you think about it, it depends very heavily on subjective human judgment. Because somebody is saying, oh, yeah, that that looks like him. That's him. I mean, yeah. that's something we haven't even, you know, we didn't even, I didn't even pull it, you know, put in the equation when I was opening and talking to you. But that's another part, and that's a big part. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's just... Like as like it's just uh with how um imprecise it can be, uh it is a real danger mm-hmm. for how policing 
uh, is identifying people. And I, I don't know what would, I guess, what would happen to people who are wrongfully sentenced as it's going through the stages, as I was saying earlier. Um, though I hope it would be, they would be corrected if, as software gets better, though the damage would already have been done yeah. by the time it would. I think but, if they use further information besides just the face mm -hmm. recognition, I think that would somewhat help with not having innocent people being wrongfully arrested um, during its process of getting better. I think that's the only way. Yeah, I, st I think it's like in its development phase right now, maybe mm -hmm. they can add extra features like taking account someone's height or their hair color or any like special scarring that they may have. Because right now, like, I don't think it should be used because it is not ready. Yeah. Um, and there's another side to this where like a lot of Americans will say how this is a privacy concern. And yep. like, yeah. I, I understand that. But at the same time, like, this is also a good step in stopping crime in the future. Yeah, I don't think that it should be the sole reason why someone goes to jail. I think there also has to be other pieces of evidence mm -hmm. why a person is sentenced because we can't fully trust technology yet. And even in the future, there will still be cases where it will be wrong or it will incorrectly detect somebody because of a of subject, sub, subjective um, human mm -hmm. perception. And if that, if we can't fix that, then personally, I don't think that we should be using it as a sole measure to because it's it's i was making the the comparison between it and genetic testing but it really it's it's different than genetic testing because genetic testing allows us to have like exactly who a person is mm -hmm. with rarely right. any problems but with facial recognition there's a lot of problems that arise with it because it's not something that's concrete like dna it's something that changes over time a person's face is always changing and there's no way to have just a concrete way of saying oh this is exactly how this person is supposed to look like we need to be kept we need to keep on the lookout for this specific person because people can change their appearances people could um wear makeup people could wear masks people could do all that so it's it's not really a concrete way to sentence someone to jail yeah because okay. there are a lot of false positives most of the returns are false positives. When there's a, a return issue with it, it's a false positive. Yes, someone had something they wanted to say. Go right ahead. Oh, um, I'm very curious with how they would use this with twins. Like if one twin were to do something <laughs> and the other looks exactly the same. Well, or like doppelgangers. Yeah. Or mm. doppelgangers, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there, uh, there's a, there are many issues that are, are related to all of this. Another thing is I, what happens when you use this type of surveillance, mainly in communities of color, mainly in impoverished communities? I mean, from the very get-go, what are you saying? 
What is the message? That these communities have, have all the crime? And we already know that communities of color, and I'm not just saying black, I'm saying black and brown, because it has not been tested, it was not um, constructed using people of color or women. You don't have a lot of women in the database either. So you are having a lot of, again, false positive in those arenas. And I think that's just a fault of like the researchers who mm -hmm. were originally like right. testing it. Yeah. Because knowing that you have such like a diverse community, like the one that we have in Tallahassee, and then deciding not to test it in all those diverse communities is really a fault on them because it's it's just it's just faulty testing. It's not sound, it's it's not, you know, it doesn't seem stable. Yeah. Well, that, you know, one of the complaints is there's a, with the police using it, there's an absence of, how would I say it, absence of transparency around when and how the police use the whole technology itself. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know like, how they, they use it often, like you're saying, they're not being very transparent. Mm -hmm with it um and like like was said earlier i think it, it is the fault of the researchers as to why uh they didn't train it on a people of color and i, I don't really don't see how they never thought about that as it just makes everything much more inaccurate uh uh i think i just think um it is an issue it, it can be an issue, but there's also positives to it, as I said earlier. Um, like it, but putting putting them mainly in communities of color, while having it trained on mainly uh, white men, uh, will just skew the results, and it's just it's overall it makes everything more much worse. Yeah. Any other comments? I think with all these mistakes and errors and stuff, I think that it shouldn't be used till these gaps are, are filled in. Mm -hmm. That'll probably help more. So you're just saying that it needs to be become more sophisticated mm -hmm. and they need to do... Um, more research on it before they rely heavily on it. That's, I mean, I think that's what I hear you saying, and you can tell me if I'm in, incorrect. Yeah, that's that is what, correct. That's that what is I'm correct. getting from you. Yeah, I mean, circling back, um, the use of AI is still a pretty new thing. Mm -hmm. And I believe like we need to do more research before fully incorporating it into our society like this. Yeah, we don't yeah, even I, know it's how it's going to be monitored. Yeah, go right ahead. I was going to say, I completely agree. I think we need to just I, like, take, a, just take a pause on the development of AI and just sort out how we're going to deal with it, like the legal system and everything to do with it. 
and then we can go back to developing it and then integrating it into our, our daily lives. Yeah, I mean, I like the enthusiasm. Like, AI is such a new thing. Mm -hmm. It's really exciting. I it can is. see why they want to, you know, rush and get this implemented because of how cool the technology is. But yeah, as um, he said, we need to take a pause and really, like, ensure it's ready. Well, I agree with you. I do think it's it's fascinating. It is really exciting. Um but do you think do you think we're living in a police state? I mean, considering now monitoring is every place. And maybe we wouldn't we, say that we're living in a police uh, well, state. Well, because we're being we're being we're being monitored every place we go. I mean, you go to get, you go in the grocery store, you go to get some gas, wherever you may go, you're, you're just about being monitored. You stop at the stoplight to catch your car, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm asking you about, that's why I thought, you know, it's every place, you know, so... And, and we may not be able to solve that, but I just, just as we talk about it and look how wide it reaches and the impact that it has, I mean, we do it. Many people have, have uh, security on, and they take pictures of whoever is at their door. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it's, it's every place. So that's... You know, that's what I'm saying. But I, I know we can't solve it, and we're out of time. And um, so we'll just have to do, try to work on that another time. And I want to extend to you all happy holidays for next week, and I guess I will see you in a week or, or a couple of weeks. So it is time out for this edition of 411 Team. And thank you all so much for participating. Many, many thanks to um, my 411 team, politics rap panelists, and the student producers. To my listening audience, much appreciation for your ear and your time. This is Dr. Liz Hollyfield inviting you to tune in next week, same time, same place, to get the 411 on 411 team. 411 team was produced by Dr. Liz Hollyfield. Technical assistance was provided by Evan Rossi. If you would like to participate in the 411 team or have suggestions for discussion topics, call 850-645-7200. You can listen to previous episodes of 411 team at wfsu.org.